Welcome to the Loved Called Gifted podcast. This is your place to come for musings about spirituality, identity and purpose. I'm your host, Catherine Cowell. So I'm delighted for this episode to be joined by Sally Bubbers. Do you want to introduce yourself, Sally? That'd be great. So I'm Sally and I work as a counsellor and a pastoral supervisor and I have a husband and we've got four children between us Mm -hmm. with three grandchildren at the moment. And yeah, I'm just really fascinated in all this stuff that we're going to be talking about today because... It's helped me make sense of my life and helps me understand other people. Yeah. So we were going to talk, weren't we, about something called the window of tolerance. Yes. Tell us a bit about what the window of tolerance is. Yes. So the window of tolerance is a sort of idea that we all have a sort of window that you're happy operating in. Mm -hmm. You can think clearly. You can respond to people in a friendly manner. Your emotions can go up and down, but you don't feel dysregulated by stuff. And then when we get stressed, often our window of tolerance narrows and it shrinks. Yeah. And then what happens is we often can shoot into being hyper aroused, which Mm -hmm. means we're fizzed up, we might be angry. We might get really agitated about things. There's a lot of energy in our system. You yes. might think about the adrenaline charging. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happens is we can't really stay there for that long because it's not really good for our bodies. So then sometimes people drop down into a sort of hypo arousal, which is a bit like a sort of hibernating animal. Yeah where we just shut down and we might feel like just going to bed or just zoning out watching the telly. And it often looks like depression, that place of hypoarousal. Yeah. And some people get stuck predominantly using the sympathetic hypoarousal. Okay. And some people get stuck using hypoarousal and others just ping along flipping from one to the other. Yeah. One of the things that I found really interesting about this is you cannot notice that you're not in your window of tolerance. Yeah. There was a period in my life when I was particularly stressed. Yes. And I think I had gone into that kind of hyperarousal state. Yes. And it wasn't until kind of the stress began to abate that I thought, oh, my goodness, I have not been functioning terribly well. Yes. So one of the things that I was hoping that we will be able to do in the course of this conversation yes. is really to help people to notice when they are and when they're not in that window of tolerance, because then it helps yes. you to do something about it, doesn't it? It does. It does. And then the other thing which I am very aware of is that we kind of all have different levels of window of tolerance. Oh, absolutely. So yes. there are some people who seem to be able to cope with, like, it doesn't matter what happens. <laughs> yes. They sort of maintain this kind of level. Yeah. 
somebody was telling me about Chris Hadfield, the astronaut person who's on the space station and mm. was doing a spacewalk and mm. something went wrong with his spacesuit, which meant that he was kind of really in mortal danger. But the people monitoring his vital signs, kind of nothing changed. He just sort of sorted it out. Yeah. Whereas... I would be, <laughs> I would have left my window of tolerance yes. before we'd left Earth. <laughs> yes. So. Just, and, and what's fascinating about that is how just thinking about something yeah. which is agitating to us can actually shift us out of our window tolerance. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. It, the power of thought is amazing. Yeah. So if you're thinking about needing to go to a meeting or a child's thinking about going to school and they're anxious, yeah. they can go out of their window of tolerance before they've got their shoes on in the morning. Yes, I've certainly seen that. We had a season of school being tricky. Yes. Um, and definitely, definitely I would relate to that. Yes. So Sally, what do you think influences how big and small our window of tolerance is? I don't honestly think that we really know in terms of giving a single answer. Yeah. Uh, but I think there are a lot of things which can contribute towards it. So what we call developmental trauma. So if children are frightened or they have people around them that are frightening, yeah, it can mean that they don't necessarily learn to self-soothe because the adults around them are not helping them to regulate themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So that ability to kind of bring yourself back down. That's right. So a baby can't regulate themselves. No. So when a baby's upset or a toddler's upset, an adult has to come along and help regulate them with their own body being calm and also distract them for them to learn that they don't have to stay in that place of dysregulation. If that doesn't happen for a child or if, for example, there's an adult that's very scary, yeah, a child will tend to shut down so that they just stay very quiet and out the way and the danger is out there. So there's stuff about safety. Yeah. There's stuff about learning how to regulate ourselves. Yeah. Which plays into attachment theory. Yes. We did an episode on attachment ah. theory. I can't remember which one it is, but it's, yes, yes I they can look that sure. up. They can yes. have a look. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, general stresses in life, really. Mm. And the problem is, is that once the window of tolerance gets narrower, yeah, the more stressful we find life. Yes, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a vicious cycle, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yeah. But there are ways of widening the window of tolerance. So, should we have a think about that a bit later when we've talked about how yes. you know when you're not in your window yes. of tolerance? So how you know when you're not in your window of tolerance? Often it's about noticing patterns within ourselves. Yeah. So we're almost observing ourselves. Does the world feel safe to you? Mm. Do you have this urge which comes on very quickly sometimes to just go and hibernate or shut down? Yeah. But there's a lady called Norma Howes and she she uses the seven Fs. Okay. So we could run through the seven Fs and there's another one being added to it. The first one is fight. Yep. So if we get agitated, feel threatened by something, then we might get, get angry. Yeah. 
and just get very cross with ourselves or other people. Then there's flight. Running away. Yes. <laughs> but what's really interesting about running away mm. is that we can run into things like drink yeah. to help us, uh, drugs, mm -hmm. physically running away, using things that help us to feel better right. about ourselves yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And some people do do a lot of running. Physically, mm -hmm. they run to, to burn off the adrenaline in their systems. And if you find that you've got to go to the gym, otherwise you can't function, well, maybe actually you've got a very narrow window of tolerance and that's trying to burn off energy. Yeah. So then we've got freeze. Yeah. So that often happens if you feel like you want to run away, mm. but you can't. Right. And so it, there's often a lot of high tension in the mm. body and it's like a rabbit in the headlights. Yeah. That sort of thing. Actually, where you're just frozen with high tension in your body because you can't run away and you're stuck. That often leads to uh, things that look like sort of fibromyalgia because people get a right. lot of tension in their muscles, which is never burnt off yeah. because they're stuck because they can't run away. Yeah. And so you get pain. You can get a lot of pain in the limbs and exhaustion yeah. as well. Because you're just kind of holding that tension. That takes holding a lot of energy, tension, doesn't it? it? It takes an enormous amount of energy. It does. And then you get flop. That's a collapse. But that's when, if you think about needing to go to do something and you just suddenly feel exhausted, yeah, you've been triggered. There's something distressing you and it's like your body collapses. I think I think I can kind of relate to that moment of feeling like you just think about a job. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then you're just like, ah. Oh. I'm out of energy. I really couldn't possibly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that's a flop. And then we get fart. Okay. Now, fart references <laughs> our gut. Yeah. And there's research that's really been coming from what's called the polyvagal theory, based on research by Stephen Porges. Okay. But when we go into that shutdown place, which is hypoarousal on the window of tolerance, yeah. often the only thing left going in our body is our gut. Yeah. So people can often end up with problems with their gut if they use that state a lot. It's interesting how some of the symptoms people experience can be sort of indicators of how they're surviving in life yes the the farting one is interesting because i i'm so i know a mum whose child was accused of being very smelly in oh. class child had been adopted had had yeah. quite a lot of trauma early on yeah and was literally when stressed farting, farting. Yeah. yeah 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 which is really interesting so yeah. one of those one of those kids who kind of just missed the help that he needed because he was just sort of slunk into the background really at school well yeah. well he would because if he was in a shutdown state, state yeah absolutely he'd absolutely. be sitting there quietly not causing any trouble and those children get overlooked yes you know yeah a shutdown state so then we also get reproduction 
you can guess the F connected with that. <laughs> Can't imagine. <laughs> and um, so is that hyper or hyper arousal that that's Well, it from? can sort of be either because okay. people can either want to do it a lot in order yep. just to get connection. Yeah. Or they they really go off it all together and they're quite shut down. I mean, there's obviously if there's been abuse, then people can go either way as well. But yes. it's around yeah. connecting with people and what feels mm. safe. And then there's food. Yep. So food's interesting because if you believe that these things go right back, if you believed a danger was very imminent, you probably wouldn't eat because you yep. need to run. Yeah. And you don't want to wear your body down. If you believe a danger is in the distance, but mm. it's coming, you mm. may want to stoke up yeah. and get your reserves in so that you can survive uh, the coming danger. So I think that's just an interesting way of looking at what might drive food, but it can be used in all sorts of ways. And obviously sugar and uh, carbohydrates can help people feel better about themselves. It, it you know, it's all about what makes you feel better. Yes. And some people get a connection to a certain food that they ate something one time and they felt good. And after that, they think, oh, well, if I eat that, I'll get that good feeling again. Yes. Yeah. Or their mother might have given them a sweet when they were good and that there was a good connection with that. Dan Siegel also talks about how if parents are very nervous feeding their children, the children might pick up on their anxiety mm. and then connect food with being anxious. There's all sorts of stuff that can play into this, but food is another one that people use to feel better. Yeah. So is that all of our Fs? Yes. And there's another one being added to it called a fawning. So okay. sometimes if we're feeling threatened by the world, we'll just want to please people. Mm. Ah. So there was fight flight, freeze, flop, fart, reproduction, food, and fawn. Yeah. So there's the eight. So the fawning is trying to get that good feeling from other people, kind of like. Pleasing people. Yeah. And I, I think it's a lot about feeling safe. Yeah. Because if you're pleasing people, um, you, safe. you feel safer. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You notice you can notice that you're in a freeze pattern when you've got kind of thoughts going. You know when you go around a thought loop. Yes. Am I right about that? That, the... that you, yes that that could be you're stuck with with thoughts going around in your head because you can't run away. Yeah. And sometimes I do believe that we have parts of ourselves, and if you've got a part that's wanting to say to you this is a danger and you need to get out, then you can get these repetitive thoughts going around in your head. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting that because actually having heard that, I have been a little bit more aware of kind of when I've got stuck into those loops. Ah. And it generally has been when there is something going on which has sort of triggered me. Yeah. And I can't quite work out what to do about it or I can't quite find the courage to talk to the person that I need to talk to about it. Yes. And so what that's helped me to do is to think, oh, okay, so this thought is going round and round in yes. my head. And when I looked at that, actually, yeah, I am stuck. I don't know how to do anything about this. I can't run away from it. Yes. So I'm just sort of in this 
yeah. anxious kind of hyper aroused state which has been really helpful because instead of just trying to tell myself well just for heaven's sake stop thinking about it yeah. <laughs> i've been able to take a step back and think okay so what is what's going on and i probably do need to that, sort this that's out that's brilliant because that's mm. about noticing and that's one of the keys yeah is noticing and being curious in order to break the patterns yeah because if it's a part that wants to be heard it's almost like a three-year-old that's coming up going you know listen to me and you go <laughs> go away i'll be with you in a minute <laughs> and they just start shouting louder to get your attention yeah and our thoughts can be like that and if we can pause and listen to them mm. that can really help them to settle yeah which is interesting Sally did a brilliant, brilliant workshop, which is why I, which I went to, yeah. which is why I said, please come and be yes. on my podcast. But one of the things that you got us to do was to actually think about and reflect on what do you like when you're at yes. your best and kind of imagine a situation where that's happening and think about how that feels in your body, yeah. what's going on in your mind, yeah. what are you thinking about, all of those sorts of things, yes. which kind of helps you to get a view of what am I like when I'm in my window of tolerance functioning really well. It does. And then you've got to think about what's going on for you when you're in that sort of hyper-aroused yeah. state and you're kind of really anxious. And yes. then what's happening when you're in that sort of hypo-aroused sort yes. of yeah. gone to a bit of a kind of flop state. And and so actually thinking about sort of three different scenarios when you're in each. And I yeah. found that really helpful yeah. to help me to see, oh, so I can see yeah. when that's happening, these are some of the Fs which are occurring. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's an exercise that was written by Deb Danner. She's sort of a counsellor who's made the polyvagal theory understandable and accessible to people. So just to talk you through it, Deb Danner looks at a sort of ladder. Yeah. So you've got the ventral vagal at the top, which is your window of in your window of tolerance. Yeah. Then you've got the sympathetic and then you've got the dorsal mm -hmm. vagal shut down at the bottom. So the best thing to do is to start with the sympathetic and then you move down to the dorsal state and then you finish in your ventral vagal, which is within your window of tolerance. Right. So, so you, you never you never leave yourself in a dysregulated state. Right, got you. Yes, that's, so, that's very wise. <laughs> and what's fascinating about this exercise is to notice the power of thought. Mm, yes. Because you're just thinking about something and noticing the shift in your body. Yeah. Yeah, so you imagine yourself into the situation. That's right. Yeah. So the first thing you do is you imagine yourself into a slightly agitated state, mm. about three out of ten. You, you know, you, you want to do just a bit. So don't think <laughs> of the thing which completely panics you. Yeah, just think right. of the thing which, yes. yeah. Slight sympathetic arousal in your yeah. body. And be really curious about mm. what you notice, what happens to your breath, what happens with your general state of agitation in your body. And the questions that she invites you to ask is, what's your relationship to food in mm. that place? What about behaviours? Mm. Like, do you feel like going running? Do you get snappy with people? Do you feel irritated? Do you drive yourself harder? So what are the behaviours? And do you tend to use 
any sort of drugs um, in that sort of situation as well. And what are your thoughts? So how does the world feel? Does it feel safe or not? Mm-hmm. To complete that sentence, I yeah. am and the world is. Yeah. And that's really interesting to do that. And then you shake that off. Yeah. And then you think about a time when you feel shut down or in a flop state. Yeah. Do the same thing. And then shake that off. And then you go into a state when you think you're okay, when the world feels okay. And ask yourself the same questions and notice the same things there. We could we could put a handout onto the website, could we? With yeah, and then absolutely. people could have a look at the questions. There's always a transcript from the episode. Okay, but I think what we could also do sort of a, like a, a handout or some yeah. resources. Yeah, that would be really good. Yeah. Mm. So there will be some information about this that you can get on the Love Called Gifted website. We'll do some links to that in the show notes. Brilliant. Yeah. When you're out of your window of tolerance, there are brain scans suggesting that we lose our logical higher thinking functions yeah so it's more difficult to think logically and it's also more difficult to take in new information so i remember when i was learning about therapeutic parenting yes that they talked about sort of a red brain and a blue brain yeah so your red brain is the thing which has pushed you out of your window of tolerance so you're kind of feeling like i might be in the woods and there's a bear after me that's right so now i don't need the thing which is going to help me to think logically so that's gone and then your blue brain is the kind of when you are in your window of tolerance and you can think so this has massive implications if you're trying to communicate with somebody that is out of their window of tolerance yes because If you think about a child at school who's agitated, they're not going to be able to learn. It's going to be difficult to do sums and things like that because we don't have the the prefrontal cortex and other related areas of our higher thinking functions available or fully available. And then the other thing is if you're talking to somebody who is agitated, you will just end up looping round. And often people have phrases that they'll use like you're always like this or you always do that or you know but those are not coming from a place where they can think clearly about relating to you in a new way or taking on new information they're out of their window of tolerance and they're not going to be able to change their behavior from that place so you need to get back into a regulated state yes and the first thing to do is to regulate yourself yeah, before you try and regulate somebody else. Yes, like it's like put your gas mask on <laughs> or your your oxygen mask on. Yeah, yeah. Before you help somebody else. Yeah. So, if you are trying to support a child who is distressed about something, mm. or you want them to put their shoes on to leave the house to go to school, if they are completely out of their window of tolerance, and you are as well, it's it's never going to go well. yes i would i would concur with that (laughs) yes Yes. and there's no point if like with your partner you're having a conversation or with another adult and they're clearly triggered and distressed and they keep looping around repeating the same thing all the time to you they're not generating new thoughts 
and they're not taking on board what you're trying to say. So it's really good to just go, shall we just have a pause? Mm. And let's come back to this. And and that, that can be a helpful thing to start noticing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting just listening to you there. I think one of the things that I have sometimes got stuck in before mm. is that somebody is out of their window of tolerance and yeah. is triggered. Yeah. And then if you try and respond to the content of what they're saying, you absolutely get nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about my son who quite often gets anxious. Yes. And when he was, particularly when he was younger, not so much now, but he would be obsessed by something. Yeah. And would be really worried about it. Yes. And you could then tell that something's triggered him. It could be something like, well, my bicycle isn't working and I'm really worried about the noise it's making and it's not, and I need to sort it out. And you're like, well, your yeah. bicycle is fine. Yes. But the conversation about your bicycle being fine doesn't help. No. Or I'm really worried that the, that the canal might flood. Well, the conversation yes. about the fact that the canal can't flood yeah. doesn't help in that moment because that's no. not the point. The point no. is that he's dysregulated. That's right. And he just needs you to hear that he's worried about that. Yes. It's just going to loop on and and you just end up down a rabbit hole, really, just repeating things to each other and getting more and more agitated. So there's no point trying to have the logical conversation about the, what looks like the presenting thing. It's no. about... And yeah. maybe just hearing them, maybe saying, I, I'm really understanding that you're worried about your yeah. bicycle making a funny noise, you know. Yeah. So they want to be heard, that mm. you are hearing them. Yes. Um, but otherwise, if, if it's about something else, like what holiday you're going to go on or something, then it, it's a question of pausing the conversation if it's not going anywhere. But I do think what's interesting, it's a slight tangent, but just to think about actually, is there a relational component underneath mm. the conversation or is it a practical conversation about logistics? And quite often things like my bicycle, it may well be relational that he's wanting you to understand that, he's worried about that, and not logistics about how that's going to get mended. But it might be logistical, but it's worth checking that out. Yes, yeah. Sometimes it's felt like there is a level of anxiety and it needs to seep out somewhere. Somewhere. And he needs something to attach it to. And yeah. so you could sort out the bicycle issue, but then it'll be something else. Yeah. But he's out of his window of tolerance. Yes. And the thing is for you to be noticing your own levels of activation yeah, yeah, and to support yourself back in. So if you're sympathetically aroused, then one of the things that can calm you most is a long out breath. Okay. Because that can help bring on the parasympathetic systems in your body. Physiologically, yeah. Yeah. it's calming. Obviously, you may need to take yourself away from the thing that is distressing you. Mm -hmm. But uh, but the first thing to try is a long out breath. If if you've breathed, I think when we get anxious, we tend to go, <gasps> yeah, and that just so, hypes up your system. So literally, just a longer out breath can help to calm you. And the idea is to try to notice when you're starting to get activated. Often there are signs in our body that we're starting to get upset about something, which we override because we yeah. want to stay in that place and deal with it. Yeah. But if you can start noticing 
what's going on in your body. Maybe a little bit fizzy in your chest or maybe your shoulders tighten in a bit mm. that you are getting agitated. Yeah. Or sometimes we get overfixed, so like you're overfocused on somebody and your head gets very still. If we can notice those sorts of things, then we can start helping ourselves earlier. Mm. Because once you've gone right out of the window and you're completely triggered, it takes time to settle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about really noticing, being curious, mm. and then just being kind to yourself, going, yeah, well, I got triggered. The other thing is, is if your body, if you're, if you're standing and you're noticing that you've actually got stuck standing, like you're just standing there with your legs still, mm. sometimes even just moving your legs so that your body can just move from side to side opening your stance a little bit can help to settle your body because your body can sort of feel it can move rather than being stuck there in that okay. place. Does that make sense? Yes. So I'm imagining that you've got that kind of frozen in the headlights type of thing. Yes. And if, so you're saying if you just... If you can just move just your move. body a bit. Yes, sometimes that can just help. Just move your position. If, you, if your legs are together, then maybe just move them apart and shift your weight a little bit. It can just help your body to feel that it can move and it's not trapped in that yeah. place. Yeah. Um, and then if you're hypo-aroused, yeah. again, it's noticing it. Mm -hmm. But if you want to bring yourself up, you can try tapping your thighs with your hands, tapping yeah. your upper arms, and just doing a slightly bigger in-breath um, can, can help just... To wake you up a bit. So sort of the opposite of the long out breath. That's big, right. <gasps> yes. Big in breath. Yeah. That can help you. Yes. Um, those are just simple things. Mm. But a lot of it is about learning to notice. Yes. And then being kind to yourself. Mm. Because we've all got parts of ourselves that can notice and start observing these states in our bodies. And if they can start doing that, the idea is to always ask yourself, what happened just before? Mm. And what happened just before that? Was there a point when I might have been able to intervene? Maybe either in yourself or in your child or your partner, you might start noticing the angle of their head changes or their shoulders change when they're starting to get agitated or shut down. Mm. And at that point, you might be able to say something. Yeah. Yeah. before they've gone right out of their window. So if they have gone right out of their window? It's about finding a, some way of getting a pause if, if people are very highly agitated or even very shut down. Mm. Um, because once they're feeling threatened, people have got to settle and feel safer. So it may even be just taking a step back from somebody mm. so that their body feels safer. But also... I know we've talked about it. We had it with my boys and you've got it with your boys having like a word yeah. that you can use to, to go or you can do a hand sign. With one of my boys, actually, we negotiated with the teaching staff that the teachers would touch their watch and look at him if they felt he was getting too much and he needed to, to just notice and, and do a bit of regulation or mm. get some space. So it's about finding ways and talking about it when everyone's calm. Yes. Yeah. 
So saying, okay, and so sometimes we both get upset and, and it's upsetting. So we're the ways that we can notice mm. before that. And that's about teaching other people around you to do that as well. Yes. And that's yeah. relational. Yeah. So you're interactively regulating each other, mm. helping each other. But some people just can't regulate themselves on their own and they need yes. somebody else sitting with them. So maybe they don't want you to touch them, but maybe you can just sit in the same room with them and just try to regulate your breathing mm. because we all give off electric signals <laughs> and energies. Yes. We all do. Yeah. And other people can pick up on that in minute levels. And so mm. if we can settle ourselves, that will help interactively regulate the other person, which so, is what we do with babies. Yes, absolutely. So going back to what you were saying much earlier, mm. actually if somebody hasn't learnt that yeah. from when they were small, they you kind of need to learn it yeah. later. That's right. Um, and people so yeah. talk sometimes, don't they, about being a non-anxious presence and that's sort of what you're saying really, that if you can just be there yes. and be calm, then hopefully the person who's dysregulated can kind of... Yeah bring themselves down so you're not demanding anything of them you're just present sort of them. present and waiting for the yeah. thing to kind of settle yeah. a bit but being present is key yeah that you're not in a shutdown state yeah because some people might think well i was sitting there calmly but actually they were shut down mm. they weren't actually present and available to the person it's really noticing what state you're in or some you might be sitting there seething still, <laughs> <laughs> and the any energy of that will come off, just waiting for somebody else to calm down so you can get your next bite in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, and I I can definitely relate to that ending up in a hypo aroused state, yeah, and simply waiting for things to calm down, particularly. Yeah. When things have been really difficult. And there came a point when people would often say to me, oh, you're so patient. Yes. Yes. And I am. I have yes. to. But there have been times when it's not actually been patient. I've been completely outside of my window of tolerance. But the, but the only thing I can do is just kind of yeah. be physically present, but sort of mentally absent. And that's yeah. not terribly helpful. Well, it's probably better than... It's, yeah. I mean, it's surviving, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But... You noticed, and that is mm. fantastic. It's really good that you noticed that. And then once you are regulated, you can offer repair. Yes. And that's the key yeah. thing. With Dan Siegel, I heard him say once that we only need to be available to our children in you know, attuned mm. availability 30% of the time to achieve secure attachment, mm. which is amazing. And actually offering repair when we are calm is is vital. That it helps your child to kind of complete the cycle that they're in. Yeah. In that you've become detached from one another. That's right. And if you come back and say, oh, I was really struggling. Yeah. I do that with my kids. And my youngest in particular is yeah. so good at saying, oh, no, I get like that. I completely understand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sort of many years of sort of working on this stuff together, we've ended up with a kind of a shared language. Yeah. And so my understanding of him 
sort of bleeds into his understanding of me. But it it means that his dysregulation, I think, is is kind of when it happens. He knows that it's it's normal. It's part of what happens, and we get round yeah. it, and we get through it, and we yeah. we repair afterwards. That's one. It's so beautiful that really, and that's what you would hope. Yes, to be able to achieve. And he's learning then that there it can be repair and that also you're acknowledging that you get dysregulated as well, which is vital because yes. otherwise children's experience is denied. Yes. And then absolutely. they actually lose trust in what they're seeing. Because mm. if they say, well, I think you were cross with me and you go, no, I wasn't, <laughs> but you clearly are. <laughs> they start distrusting what they're seeing in other people. And what they believe is happening in themselves as well. And yeah. that's very dysregulating in terms of owning dysregulation or calm yeah. or whatever state we're in. I love the language of parts to mm. say a part of me got yeah. upset or a part of you got angry because it means it's not the whole of the person. Mm. And and I love that because when people go, I disapprove of your behavior. It's like you're disapproving of the whole person. Mm -hmm. But if you say, yeah, I, I really struggle with the behavior of that part of you, that's a very different message that you're giving yes. to somebody. Yeah. And yeah. also owning yourself mm. that you got agitated, but there's parts of you that can be calm as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot in the conversation that we've had, which has been about noticing and there's something very yeah. compassionate about saying i can simply notice what is happening yes there isn't any well you shouldn't be no it's just okay well i'm noticing this and i'm going to bring myself back that's right so we've talked a bit about kind of how you get back into the window of tolerance in the yeah. moment i'm wondering whether there are ways of increasing your window of tolerance over yeah. time whether there are yeah. practices that help with that yes there are yeah there are all the research shows that mindful practices, so mindful contemplative practices, which really mean bringing ourselves into the present moment, mm. are key to widening the window of tolerance yeah. and getting us back into ventral vagal. So the problem with those things, I find, is that if you've got somebody that's really agitated or lives their lives at 90 miles an hour, they're not going to sit down for 20 minutes and do a mindful mm. practice. But what you can do is do things like give yourself a commentary while you're brushing your teeth because you're bringing your, your mind and your focus to attend to what you are doing in that moment. And that mm. effectively is a mindful practice. If you're out walking, you could just try to consciously slow the pace that mm. you're walking and notice what's on the ground or the flowers around you. You could look out of the window and look at the clouds going by mm. or just see some birds flying past and give yourself a commentary. You could boil a kettle to make a cup of tea and again, give yourself a commentary. So all those sorts of things are mindful practices. Washing your hands, again, just be aware of the temperature of the water, of the soap. And then if you can manage to lengthen your out-breath slightly, that's really good for calming. 
So if you can start doing that as well, and then you can maybe build up to maybe doing like three or four seconds Mm. of doing an in-breath, counting in for three and out for four. And that can help settle. Noticing where your breath is going, whether it's high up in your chest or whether you can just deepen a a bit into your belly. Mm. So your breath is down in your belly. The other thing to be really curious about is some people have paradoxical breathing. And so when they breathe in, their tummy goes in. And when they breathe out, their tummy goes out. Yeah. And you want to try to change that if you can, so that when you breathe in, you're breathing in and you can feel your lungs and your belly expanding with your Mm. diaphragm going down. And then when you breathe out, they come in. Yes. The first time I found out about that was when I learned to play the trombone Ah. as a teenager. Yes. But it's interesting because we, the paradoxical thing, because often when people say breathe in, yes, they mean kind of bring your tummy in, which is entirely different. So, yes, learning that when you breathe in, you want your tummy to come out. Yes. And just putting your hand on it will help you to notice what's going on. Yes. And you can feel your, your diaphragm going down and. You don't want to force any fullness of breath because that can trigger the body yeah. as well. So it's a very gentle okay. learning yeah. to do that. So I believe what you want to achieve is about six to seven breaths a minute is optimal because also that can help to tone your vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve actually controls all sorts of things Mm -hmm. like when you're dysregulated out of your window of tolerance um, our hearing changes gosh so we are tuned to hear things for safety Mm. and we don't actually hear all the normal ranges that we would when we're in our ventral vagal and and also it affects blood pressure so I think there's current research about how toning your vagus nerve, and there's, again, lots of stuff coming out. There's books and YouTubes Mm -hmm. about toning your vagus nerve to help strengthen your window of tolerance so you don't go out of it so easily. Mm. And, uh, And there's exercises, and that breathing rate does help to strengthen your vagus nerve. So I'm just wondering whether singing helps because that automatically it does. You, you are taking a little breath in and then a long breath out. Yeah, singing's really good. Yeah, and also it's it can be a communal relational activity yes. as well. Yeah, singing's good, and like you said, your trombone, all sorts of things like that can be really really helpful. It's very personal. I I think there's never one solution Mm. and one answer to things. So the bottom line is you want to do something which brings you into the present moment, whatever that happens to be. That's right. And even if that's looking around the room and naming five things you can see in your room and moving your head around Mm. at the same time, because that helps to break the freeze. Yeah. Yeah. So you can look around. I can say there's a mirror, there's a picture, there's a window, you know, there's a fire. I can Mm. look around like that. Yes. Yeah. And it sounds as if you can do it at whatever pace you need to move. So I'm thinking about 
kids who are sort of really hyper. Yeah. We can go and jump on the trampoline and talk about how high you're jumping. Yes. I'm going to do 10 jumps. I'm going to do 10 little jumps. I'm going to fail the jumps and do 10 big ones. You could Kids try that. Yeah. I think if there's a sense of them needing to run, mm. it's good for the body to know that it can run. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but maybe then transition, it might have a spurt and then walk yeah. and then calm. Mm. Or just noticing that you're not trapped and you can run if you want to. Yes. Yeah. So there's a cognitive, you're actually thinking, mm. actually, I'm not trapped here. I can walk out that door if I want to. Yeah. And and then that can become a resource. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I really like what you're talking about in terms of mindfulness, that it's bringing it it's it's making it much, much broader than simply you need to sit and do mindfulness, which some yes. of us love to do and can, but yeah. lots of people can't. I'm, I'm just thinking of moments when I've been really stressed and actually the thing I can manage to do mm. in this moment is just take two or three mindful breaths and look at a cloud. <laughs> yeah, but that's brilliant. I've just got, that's yeah. what I've got the capacity for. Yeah. I haven't got the capacity for anything else, but yeah. just doing that. Yeah, that's um, really good. When we're smiling, genuinely smiling, that mm. things are okay and it calms yeah. us. Um, some people find like a little video on their phone, maybe of a baby laughing or of something that you find funny. That can be really helpful. So there's all sorts of things you can use. It's whatever helps to jolt you out of that state and find a calmer place. And I'm just remembering what you said about that exercise where you're noticing yes. when you're in different states yeah. and imagining yourself in a state. Well, I'm I'm just thinking you can potentially do that, can't you? Yeah. If you've got a moment to think, okay. So when I am in a calm place, when yeah. I'm with friend or making the cup of tea or feeding the duck if i can just for a moment imagine myself in that situation yeah and imagine what it feels like what my body feels like then that might help me that's right back. yeah absolutely yeah yes it, it's it's really good uh, but the key yeah is just to start noticing be curious and notice just just a part of you yeah and if you can be kind to yourself yeah. when you've been triggered so the most important thing is to notice yourself. Yeah. And then you can start being in relation to others and noticing others as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. Sally, thank you ever so much for for sharing this conversation. I think that'd be really helpful to people. I hope so. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loved Called Gifted podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email lovedcalledgifted at gmail.com. You can find a transcript of this podcast at lovedcalledgifted.com. And that's also the place to go if you're interested in the Loved Called Gifted course, or if you'd like to find out about spiritual direction or coaching. Thank you for listening.